Hello and welcome to the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast, where we are going back in the time machine to October of 1997 to bring you your coverage of the Pride 1 pay-per-view. Volume, this is Volume 5 of the October 1997 podcast. Uh, Volume 1, covering WWF Bad Blood, featuring the first ever Hell and Cell match. Uh, Volume 2 is all your WCW, looking at an absolutely mental Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. Round off your month's wrestling coverage with Volume 3, which brings you all your ECW action. Volume 4 is uh, your other MMA podcast for the month, and it looks at the UFC 15 pay-per-view. But as I said, this is Volume 5, and joining me as we take our very first journey back into the history of Japanese mixed martial arts, we have Bob Bamba. Chris, good morning. A, uh, a very good use of uh, an international weekend for the uh, in the Premier League, I think. How are we? Yeah, I'm very well, Bob. How are you? Yes, good, thanks. It's uh, it, as I said, this isn't. Uh you know, well, I think given your joy at the show, you may well refuse the future, anyway, but this isn't necessarily an indication that we're going to be doing um, Pride shows going forward, but I thought it was an interesting uh, one-off, if nothing else. And one thing I think me, you and Tom have picked up on doing the MMA shows is that there's a lot of quote-unquote really interesting fights, or dream fights you might call them, that having seen guys in the UFC that we don't get to see, because also the UFC goes through financial challenges, shall we say, over the next few years. Um, and some of those fights do seem to happen in, in Pride. Um, so I thought we'll take a look at the first one, we'll see how it goes, and then you know we might pick and choose shows going forward. We might do them all, or we might just pick certain fights and do them on future UFC episodes as well. But an interesting little, uh, interesting little kind of sidetrack while we've uh, got the time to do it. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, like for, for, it's Pride One, like it's it's worth doing, and I mean, whatever my enjoyment of this show does turn out to be by the end of this review, um, I think it was worth doing the first one, and I mean, you you can have a bad MMA card like with boring fights, it's, like, and the next one could be an absolute barnstormer. So, I mean, there's no real reflection on what the quality of the product will be moving forward. Um, so, Bob, back over to you. You might as well kick us off with the uh, media corner for the month. Yeah, and just to say that it might not have been the highest quality car, but there was enough what-the-fuck moments on this show um, to, to certainly make it noteworthy. It wasn't always consistent. Anyway, on to the media corner. Uh, just a quick recap of uh, just the kind of history that led into Pride. There's a great Bloody Elbow article that I'll, I'll link to in the podcast description that I uh, that I kind of pieced this together from. But it was born from Pancrase, which was a, a hybrid promotion really that presented a lot of real fights that ended up being works in the early 90s. And one thing that we're... You know, one thing we might have to skirt around as and if and when we do more Pride is that, you know, there is a lot of you know, ideas that a lot of these fights could have been works. There's certainly ideas on this card that we're going to review that some of the fights could have been works. And I think we'll have to discuss that possibility, but I certainly don't want, you know, every single match review to be discussed to turn into, you know, was that real or not? Um, but safe to say there were a lot in uh, in Japanese quote-unquote fight worlds around this time. Um I said the fascinating bloody elbow article looking at various promotions in Japan in the 80s and 90s, including Rings, the UWF, and others that seem to be a proper mix of shoot, fight, and works. After Shamrock and then later the Gracies broke the illusion of the legitimacy of some of the Japanese fighters, Nobukiho Takada reached out to the Gracies and offered Hickson a chance to fight one of his shows. Hickson refused, saying that he didn't want to do fake fights. 
Responding to this, Takada sent Shun Yoji Anjo to the United States on the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, no less, to challenge him to a fight, thinking that if he was caught off guard, he'd either lose the fight or back down for it. Unfortunately, they kind of underestimated the graces. A bit of Hickson kind of took him apart and left him a bloody mess in front of the Japanese media. Racing Tradition said that after that, he should be left to Takada to defend the UWFI's honour, but they quite rightly figured out that Hickson would never agree to a work fight. That all became immaterial when in 1996 the UWFI closed down, uh, but Takada still wanted to fight, and after finding some significant financial backing, the Pride Fighting Championships were born, and he got his match with Hickson. In the main event of this show, but obviously, but well obviously, but this would be a real one. Uh, Chris, any, any thoughts on that for a challenge of the news? No, it's. Um, I mean, I, I was completely unaware, sort of from with a hindsight, hindsight perspective of, of where Pride was born out of, and it's it's kind of funny. It's all born out of a pro wrestler wanting to defend the honor of a student and his now dead pro wrestling company and I mean when you consider the legacy Pride Fighting Championships has within MMA it's quite an obscure and unique starting point for the company slightly shit I might describe it as in some <laughs> ways you know just uh, just just a, a pro wrestler trying to defend his honour and then you know oh let's crack these fighting championships and you know there's a uh, I'm not a big enough expert on Japanese wrestling and mixed martial arts to be able to detail the history on the the, the, the kind of the, the bleeding the lines between Japanese shoot fighting, what's real and what's not. Um, but I know enough to know that there's certainly a lot of rumours about it. How many of them are true, we don't know. Um, but I think it's certainly something that you have to qualify any kind of show like this that you watch with. Not to say that everything you're watching is a work, but just to be aware that there's always that possibility. Anyway, on to the more traditional media corner for the show. Uh, as you may have heard in volume number four on our UFC show, or if you'd like to go back and listen to this afterwards, there's a fair bit of crossover between the two shows, predominantly involving Tank Abbott and Dan Seven. Tank Abbott was meant to be on this card facing Chemo, but he was arrested after getting into a fight with Eddie, De Ru Eddie Ruiz and wasn't able to travel. Dan Seven was offered the fight on short notice. Seven, of course, was meant to be facing... Uh, who, did Seven, who did Tank Abbott face in the UFC show, Chris? I can't remember. Um, Murray Smith, it was the championship match. That's the one. Seven was about to face Smith in the, the, the main event of the USC show. But given that he got offered a, a lot more money to, to, to fight on this card, he accepted it provisionally with the idea of doing both, even though this show was, a, I think, six or seven days for the USC one. Seven wasn't the only one to pull out the USC show primarily due to money, as Gary Goodridge also opted into doing this show rather than the USC one. It said that both he and Seven offered $20,000 and $40,000 respectively, and significantly more for the Japanese show than they would have done mate, doing the USC one. The show was the first ever pay-per-view card in Japan, although with a total potential universe only being 100,000 homes, compared with, you know, 30-odd million in the USA and Canada, at this point the show was not a potential moneymaker. show was supposed to be an all-shoot show, of course, but because of the presence of pro wrestlers like Takada Seven and Kitao, formerly Koji Kitao, there were probably suspicions of rumours about all of the matches, or at least some of them, that could have been works. Um, you know, as I say, We'll, we'll go through and pick them as we are, um, uh, as we get to them. Um, but yeah, Chris, an interesting little build to all of this and, and what's going on. And the, the, the coverage we saw, I mean, we, we both watched the, the Fight Pass version of the car, which I'm guessing is the only one that exists because it's, it's a primarily Japanese show. They, they had 
Baz Rutten and someone else doing commentary for. Um, and, and yeah, like apparently this whole show was like four hours long. The, the edit of the show we saw, which was basically just the matches, came in at just under two. Um, interesting little build into the first show uh, and some familiar, some familiar names for, for regular listeners of the UFC show. On paper, this looked like it might be a really fun show, but I have to say, considering what Seven and Chemo served up, like I had no ill will to Seven for pulling out of the UFC show. I thought, fair on, uh, good on you. Chance to fight at the Tokyo Dome, 46,000 fans, rather than on a UFC show. It's the well, first he was point. planning on doing both, right? That yes, was the idea. Yes. He, pulled out of, he pulled out of the UFC show because of injuries sustained in this one. Well, I'm absolutely furious that Dan Seven decided to take this pride fight after what him and Kimo uh, served us up. I think Kimo and Tank would have been a very different fight, let's say that. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, Seven and uh, Smith might have been quite a lot better as well. Yes. Um, Smith was sort of out, like, sort of, that wasn't the greatest fight with Abbott and Smith either, and Tank looked pretty out of shape, and, well, I mean, that, well, that doesn't say a lot for Tank Abbott, but for his standards, he looked more out of shape than normal. Smith, um, Smith and Seven wouldn't have been a guaranteed barn burner, though. You've got two guys that, that are more kind of defensive and reactionary fighters. I don't necessarily I, know how well that would have worked. I think Seven would have been able to take him down quite comfortably, and that might have been... like There might have been some good action on the ground. Smith's very good off his back on the ground and things like that. I guess we'll never know, but, I mean, it can't have been worse than what we did get in, in the Chemo 7 fight. So, in terms of uh, pulling out of uh, the UFC show. I know he didn't intend to, but, I mean, that, that's a major negative for me. Uh, on the other hand, Gary Goodridge um, opting out of the UFC show and turning up on this one gave me my highlight of the show. So, I mean, swings and roundabouts, really. Each, like, one positive, one negative. On to the show, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. we kick off our review of the Pride 1 pay-per-view. Uh, Bob, would you, you kindly kick us off with the results? Yes, uh, working through the card, Kazanari, obviously there's a, well, there's actually two Japanese wrestlers, uh, fighters on this card, I shouldn't complain too much. Kazanari Murakami defeated John Dixon by armbar in 1 minute 34 seconds. Gary Goodrich defeated Oleg Takturov by knockout, this was a proper knockout in 4 minutes 57. Henzo Gracie against Akira Shoji uh, went to a 30 minute 3-10, 3 round, 10 minute per round draw. Koji Katao defeated Nathan Jones by Keylock in 2 minutes and 14 seconds. Branko Kikatic versus Ralph White in a kickboxing contest. This was not solely MMA. Went to a no contest in 1 minute 52. Kimo Leopoldo versus Dan Seven went to a one round 30 minute time limit draw. And in the main event, Hicks and Gracie defeated Nobuhiko Takada by armbar in 4 minutes and 47 seconds. Bob, we've uh, kind of touched on it a bit, but um, what did you make on this show? I know you're slightly more positive than me about it. Yeah, um, you, you know, I mean, it, it, obviously it's, it's another Dan Seven snoozer, and, you know, whatever UFC card that was on against Shamrock, we kind of went through that then. This was a very similar fight, um, and I'm certainly not willing to push up the same defence again as they did last time, other than to, to echo those thoughts. Um, I don't know that this was a, a fight full of, great matches it what well, I, I know it wasn't um, it wasn't a, a fight a, a show full of exciting matches um, but yeah I think there was enough holy shit moments where this was a quite watchable card at, for the large part 
Um, so yeah, I'm in the middle, and it was probably lower quality than almost all of the UFC shows we probably watch. But I think there's enough significance here to make this a a show that's just about thumbs in the middle pointing upwards. I think if you're a big fight fan, but like maybe you don't necessarily follow MMA and you just sort of have half an interest, you could watch this fight and be uh, sorry this this whole show and be sort of quite taken away by some of the things that happen, little spots or little moments, like you mentioned, the uh, the Goodridge knockout is is pretty special, and what happens in the kickboxing fight that we'll cover, um, that's really strange and quite unique, and there are a lot of things like that, and there's, there's plenty more we'll get into, but it just, there wasn't a good fight on this show, like, if, if you're reviewing it as a, as a, as a, card of six seven however many are fights this this was poor it was like i thought it was a bit of a chore to get through um i for me just the 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 lack of action and the lack of quality action didn't outweigh those moments which i i will concede there were plenty of um it wasn't like a terrible show it wasn't like one of the worst shows i've ever seen but it was one one of the most boring i would say aside from individual flashpoints wouldn't necessarily disagree with with most of that to be honest um, so, let's get straight into it. We are live in front of uh, 47,000 fans in the Tokyo Dome for this inaugural Pride event. The English language commentary team are Stephen Quadros and Bas Rutten. Uh, we jump right into the action of the first fight. Neither announcer breaking down the card in any way. I'm sure this is just sort of the edited down fight pass version. But, uh, yeah, Bob, back to you. Kick us off to introduce our first two fighters. Yeah, I've also got a feeling this... Excuse me. I've also got a feeling that um, this is just a matter of uh, just this. This was basically what they put together. There was no graphics. There were there were the, the graphics that were provided by the Japanese feed. But I think literally the only English slash American contribution to this show was the audio feed. So I suspect that you know if this was a live pay per view in the US and it was there, it wasn't. But I suspect the feed that ended up in the US or the video that ended up in the US would have literally just been what we saw. So I, I'm suspecting it's more that than anything else. On to the fighter profiles for the first fight, Kazaniri Murakami versus John Dixon. Murakami is a judoka who enters this fight with a 3-3 three and three MMA record, his most recent fight being a loss against UFC heavyweight champion Maurice Smith in the last ever extreme fighting show. His opponent, John Dixon, enters this fight with a 3-5 and five MMA record, his most recent fight as a two-minute loss to Dan Seven in September. Uh, Dixon is wearing a t-shirt to fight in which does not fill me with a huge amount of confidence in his ability Um, the fight begins with Murakami charging forward uh, throwing strikes before they clinch they eventually break off and Dixon lands a glancing high kick with a single leg takedown into guard Dixon throws a few short punches to the midriff of Murakami Murakami looks for a sweep from the bottom but Dixon avoids it instead choosing to stand and bring the action back to its feet. Murakami throws a few nice jabs, but Dixon clinches well to prevent them. Murakami executes a beautiful hip throw, planting the much larger Dixon hard on his back. He hooks the arm, throws a few short punches, and locks in the straight arm bar to get the submission win in just 1 minute and 34 seconds. Bob, what were your thoughts on the first ever Pride Fighting Championships fight? Uh, a, A nice little opener, like, yeah, it was a, it, it was a you know a, a busy two minute fight. Dixon 
looked decent at the start. Nice little takedown. Um, and then, yeah, not not for the first, not for the last time, sorry, on the show, was, you know, guys were, were struggling to keep guys down on the mat. And once Murakami got up, um, what a lovely hip throw that was. Um, and then, you know, a, a quick armbar and a quick submission. Very effective for Murakami. Decent fight. Yeah, quick and impressive for Murakami. Uh, nice textbook hip throw, beautifully executed against a much larger man. Not a whole lot to say about a short fight, but it was clearly an impressive performance. Um, he was clearly the much uh, more superiorly conditioned fighter. Uh, Murakami was, that is. Um, and, I mean, Dixon's got eight MMA fights in the bag. This was his ninth, so it's not like he was a, it was a mismatch in terms of experience or, like, this This is a man who's won three MMA fights, so it's not like those earlier UFC tournament fights that last 30 seconds where someone who has no business being in there, like, I'm not saying Dixon's a, a high-calibre athlete, as it were, but he's, he's, he's someone who can win an MMA fight, and he, he did look decent for the opening minute, so this was a fun little opener, um, so... Thumbs up, but a, a very simple fight. Uh, we move straight on to the second fight on the card. Uh, Bob, back to you for the introduction. Yes, next up on the card, two names that are pretty familiar to, to those of you who've been listening to our UFC shows. It's Gary Goodridge against Oleg Takturov. Gary Big Daddy Goodridge enters the fight with a 6-5 and five MMA record. We last saw him on the podcast in a losing effort to Don Fry back at the Ultimate Ultimate 1996 show. He's been on a three-fight winning streak since. He weighed in at £240. His opponent, Oleg Takturov, is an experienced MMA fighter holding a 12-4-2 record with notable wins over Marco Huar, Dave Benatow and Tank Abbott in the USC. He weighs in at £210. Uh, quick note uh, that Goodridge is £23 lighter than when we last saw him make an appearance uh, back at the Ultimate Ultimate 96. Uh, and if you may remember, he really struggled with his conditioning um, around that time So uh, and gassed out quite quickly. So dropping those £23, he's still huge, but may help him slightly. Uh, and he still has the £30 weight advantage over Taktarov here. We are underway. Uh, they circle tentatively uh, to open. Goodridge is holding his hands really low. He eventually throws a low kick but stumbles and Taktorov quickly closes in and they briefly trade before backing off. Goodridge lands a nice right hand which t- cuts Taktorov under his left eye. There's quite a cautious opening from go- both guys and aside from the slip, uh, neither opponent has really looked to close the uh, distance and take the fight to the, their opposition. Taktarov has a trickle of blood running down his face from that left eye from the earlier shot. Taktarov eventually does close the distance, but he gets hit hard with a short right that drops him. As he scrambles to get back to his feet, he gets hit with another punch and drops down to the mat again. He covers up, but Goodridge clubs away and hits a brutal knee to the head that sends Taktarov sprawling onto his back. Goodridge follows up with some absolutely wild hammer fists and Taktarov desperately scrambles to get away. Goodrich stands over Taktarov and circles around him, who Taktarov is laying on his back on the mat. Uh, He lands a vicious head kick to Taktarov, who is still on the mat, but the camera mostly misses this, unfortunately. You just hear the sort of crowd and announcers react to it, but the camera is focused on Goodrich's upper upper body at this time. Uh, Goodrich eventually lets Taktarov get back to his feet. Taktarov, who's bleeding quite a lot now under that left eye, he tries a takedown, and Goodrich is able to sprawl and excellently avoid it. Goodridge lands a glancing jab which backs Taktar up, up a little. 
Taxara attempts to clinch, being outstruck, but Goodridge lands a heavy right hook, which knocks Taxara down face first, completely unconscious. This is as as much of a one-punch knockout as you will ever see. He was out cold. Uh, but before the ref is able to get there, Goodridge is able to drop down to the mat and land two more shots to the head before the ref uh, can get there for good measure. So, uh, absolutely brutal. And uh, Gary Goodridge is declared the winner by knockout after four minutes and 57 seconds. Taktara, for its worth, was stretched out of the ring but was said to be okay. Uh, Bob, your thoughts on that impressive knockout? I think you're being a bit kind on the referee. Like uh, I think Goodridge, Goodridge stopped punching before the ref got there. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we've said before, you, MMA refereeing isn't, isn't easy. You've not done it all that often before. Um, but holy fuck! I mean, that was uh, you know we, there was that knockout earlier this year in the US. Earlier this year, earlier in '97 in the USC, where the guy just kind of collapsed into a you know collapsed in on himself, but uh, up against the oh, cage yeah. like a. You know, just a complete dead weight. Um, this was just one punch, and Taktura went straight down. He, uh, like, what was more weird was that he was like, he was in like that skeleton position when you're doing the the Winter Olympics. Like, he was face down, his arms were tucked right by his side, his legs were straight out, and they originally feared he was dead. Um, you know, he, he went down like that, and you know, Goodrich put a couple of extra shots in. I suppose he's entitled to. Um, but it didn't look great. <laughs> and yeah, m- more generally, what a what an impressive performance by Goodrich. I mean, we've seen both of these guys, and I think if you'd have said to us before knowing the result of this fight, you know, from what you see in a Taktorov and what you see in a Goodrich, who do you think was going to win? I think we'd have said, you know, Taktorov most of the time. And I was, it wasn't just the the the, the loss; it was the manner of the loss and how ineffective Taktorov seemed. Um, Goodrich looked very comfortable, looked the better fighter throughout, and Taktor didn't really seem to have an answer. But yes, the the massive knockout uh, uh, up there with the best I've ever seen. Um, I tell you what, Gary Goodrich is going to have a hell of a highlight reel if you combine that crucifix knockout from early '96 with this. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't think he ends up with the best record MMA of all time. But holy fuck, a couple of proper all-time knockouts here. Yeah, I have to agree on everything you said. I would have absolutely picked Taktarov to win before knowing the outcome. This was the best Goodridge has ever looked when we've seen him fight. Um, I think he looks much better for dropping those 23 pounds. He looked more agile. He was quicker. Um, and his composure was unbelievable on the feet. Uh, like He was fantastic. He was outstriking Taktarov. He was good on the ground. Um, he was just excellent. Um and like you say, yeah, between the crucifix and this, I'm sure there's a few more Goodridge's got up that uh, hidden somewhere down his record. Uh, what what an incredible highlight reel he will have! Um, he really, really did pick apart Taktarov here. Knockout was just devastating. Uh, the two punches he landed on the ground, like you say, he's entitled to throw them technically, I guess, but they were just horrific. And Taktarov was unconscious, and the effect of them punches hitting Taktarov's head as he just lay there. Like it just rippled throughout his body. It was well. It could have been a lot worse. And talk about him being dead. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, well, it, thankfully he was okay. But but that that could have caused some significant damage. Um, hey, that was that was as bad a sort of like what, as much of a health risk as I've ever seen in the end of an MMA fight because that one shot and the lights just went out completely. It wasn't one of those where the guy goes down and the referee gets there and he's stunned but you never actually see him go out. Taktarov was 
there was nobody home. He was completely gone. And, and it, was, it was his body position that was so strange. Like he was flying face down, arms tucked in neatly by his side, legs bolt straight out, face down on the mat. Like it didn't, it, it, it didn't look natural at all. No. Um, and, and yeah, the you know, as you say, good he's entitled to throw them, but it did look a bit ugly. And the ref was a good couple of steps behind that. Um, yeah. Which you know, it won't be the it wasn't the first time, it won't be the last, but you know, it, it doesn't look great. No. Um, if this was on a UFC show. Uh, this is something that the UFC would probably have to worry about, sort of the negative press if it did get out, this finish did get out or found its way into a politician uh, politician's hands. If John McCain saw this in the UFC, um, I think they'd have struggled even more than they're going to over the next couple of years. Um, with that, we head straight over into the third fight of the evening. So back to you, Bob. Yes, Akira Shoji versus Henzo Gracie. Shoji is a nationally ranked judoka and holds a record MMA of 1-1-1. He weighs it at 194 pounds. His opponent, Henzo Gracie, is a six-degree back belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and holds a 5-0 MMA record with one no contest. He weighed in at 185 pounds. Uh, as an interesting side note, that uh, no contest on uh, Renzo Gracie's record is listed as officially being because uh, of a fan riot. So it must have been pretty extreme. The announcers do touch on it, and they say um, it was sort of two really heated rivalry, uh, rival camps in Brazil, and the fight was in Brazil, and the action just got too much, and the fans stormed the, the cage, and that was the end of the fight. Um, so it's pretty interesting. I'd like to see footage of that someday. Uh, the fight begins, and Shoji circles around Renzo. Enzo gets the clinch and drives Shoji back against the ropes. Shoji prevents the takedown by leaning all over the ropes, blatantly grabbing them. He's actually pretty comical, to be fair, uh, in the sense that the referee is right there, just constantly screaming, no holding, no holding, no holding. Shoji lets go for half a second, immediately grabs him again as soon as the referee's finished talking. Well, we've said about the pro wrestling link, right? I mean, that's the that's the oldest trick in the book, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, absolutely. It was, it was quite... It was just, like, hilarious to see, really. Uh, it, it kind of... Sometimes that would annoy me, but it actually endeared Shoji to me quite a lot from the off. I thought, yeah, good on you, like, <laughs> avoiding the takedown. Uh, eventually, Renzo is able to muscle him down and get full mount in the corner of the ring. Enzo lands the occasional shot, but there isn't too much action. I've never seen this before. Uh, the referee briefly calls a halt to the action, but he doesn't stand the fighters up. Instead, three officials join the referee in the ring, uh, and they drag the fighters, still in the same position with Enzo on top of uh, Shoji on the mat. They drag them away from the corner uh, and make them face the centre of the ring. So they just sort of shuffled them along with Enzo Gracie still on top of Shoji, dragged them along, dragged them along, pulled the action. When they got him into the middle, they had three officials left, the referee stayed in, and he just resumed the action. It was completely... Unusual. I had no idea what was going on. Um, but, I mean, it does make more sense, I guess, practically, than, than having to stand the fighters up, because it wasn't a lack of action that was the issue. The, the issue was they were, they were under the ropes. So it, it does make sense, but in execution, was it was slightly sloppy. Shoji gives his back up, and Enzo lands some punches before locking in a rear naked choke. Shoji stands, with Renzo just on his back choking him, and leans against the ropes. Eventually, he just, this is, again, just completely comical, like, 
Shoji might be my favourite fighter. Um, I don't think it's comical. I think it's smart. Well, they well, I know they're just the English announcers. I'll, I'll get to it. But why this could have been comical? So he's he's being choked. He's standing up, holding the entire weight of Enzo Gracie. Uh, he gets to the ropes and just deliberately just throws himself out the ring, just between the ropes, falls through them, out to the floor. Um, this is such a strange move because no one has I- any idea what this means. The announcers are completely confused. They don't know if this is a DQ or does the action just resume in the middle of the ring? Do they resume in position? No one has any idea what is happening. The announcers call this clever, but I mean, if this did turn out to be a DQ, it wouldn't have exactly been the smartest move. There is some brief confusion in the ring, but the action is eventually started with both guys on their feet in the centre of the ring standing. So it turns out, with that incredible decision, uh, that the diving out of the ring was indeed brilliant strategy. So, fair play to Shoji, he pulled it off, but this was just hilarious. Like, I, I can't believe in a fight, if you can get to the ropes and just throw yourself out of them, you're out of that bad spot. Very clever. Back underway. Enzo looks for a good knee to the body, uh, but Shoji catches it and looks at the clinch. Enzo muscles him against the ropes and they jockey for position. This fight becomes a little bit silly now, um, as they're up against the ropes, uh, the, the, the referee in the ring and the two on the outside are having to constantly mess around with the ropes to try and keep them off the fighters while they're clinching against them. Um, three fights into this prize show, and I think it's, this is sort of conclusive proof that a cage suits MMA more than a ring does, in my opinion. Shoji is pinning Enzo against the corner with very little action taking place between the two. Enzo attempts a guillotine and takes things to the ground, but Shoji is able to get his head free, which gets a big pop. Enzo holds him in his guard as Shoji throws the very occasional punch to the body. The action really slows down here with very little taking place. Suddenly, the sounds to signal the end of the first round to the surprise of Stephen Quadros, who, like me, had absolutely no idea there were rounds in this fight. So I guess we have 10-minute rounds. Uh, Bob, because this is quite a long fight and there's so much to go through from that first round, I'll come to you now. Uh, what are your thoughts on that opening 10 minutes of this fight? Yeah, um, like, I'll ask the question then. This, I, I thought this was a, a very interesting fight. You know, for a, for a fight that goes 30 minutes, there are some flat periods. Um but this was a, a real nice, quite back-and-forth fight. I think if we were going to score it, this was Enzo's round. Um, I think he, he looked a little bit better. Like Shoji, I don't know where he showed some inexperience or not, but there were times when he offered up positions that I, I don't want to say better fighters would have taken hold of, but I'm surprised that a Gracie got in a position to do a rear naked choke and couldn't actually pull it off. Um and yeah, all, all the stuff going on with the the referees, and then like you know, what a, what a great bit of ring smarts, thinking shit. Oh, yeah, I, fair, fair, fair play to Shoji for being able to deadlift Gracie off of the mat while in a choke, and then thinking, well, I can't get I can't get him off me. I know I'll just fall out of the ring. What a great idea that is. And then the thing <laughs> with the thing with the rest is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in MMA. Like. they're just trying to like shimmy them across the ring and it's just like okay let's restart Um, it doesn't help when we're talking about the legitimacy of these fights and whether they're fake or not that at one point someone says shall we move it into the middle of the ring so it's a bit better that doesn't really help either but yes I would agree that this was 
one of the fights that certainly suggests that a cage is probably slightly better um, than a uh, uh, than a traditional well, but it's basically a boxing ring essentially. I mean, it's a big one, um, but it's you know it, it's kind of got four ropes. And it looks like a boxing ring. Um, it's big too, which is one of the other things. When they get towards the corner, though, the ropes don't really help. But yeah, an interesting first round. I, I would have yeah, not that they were being scored. There were no judges on this show, uh, but I would have given Henzo the first round. I think this was just it was just pretty baffling how I saw it. Like. Like, I guess it comes down to what I said at the top of the show about the show more generally, in that it wasn't a, a great, there wasn't any good fighting here, really. It was just three or four in that round alone, flashpoints that are like funny or comical and, and, and probably worth your time seeing. But if you're looking for like a good fight, then I wouldn't have watched this round. Like, it depends what you're looking for. I, I, it wasn't bad to watch, but it was it was a bad fight, is how I saw it. Anyway, into round two. After a brief exchange of punches, Enzo shoots for a takedown. Jody blocks it well and almost gets his back, but Enzo pulls guard. They exchange short punches and headbutts, but nothing of major significance. Enzo looks for the Omar Plata, but Shoji manages to slip free and stands over him. Enzo eventually returns to his feet too and lands a nice leg kick, which Shoji answers with one of his own. Enzo shoots for a takedown, which Shoji again defends with a sprawl. Uh, he seems to have a chance at locking a, a guillotine here, which the crowd really pop for, but he doesn't seem to attempt it. The ref again pauses the action and gets his mates from the outside in the ring so the fighters can be dragged away from the ropes while maintaining position. They restart, and Endo is able to get the single leg, putting Shoji on his back in the guard. Renzo passes to Mount, and Shoji tries to square but gives his back again in the process. Enzo tries to an armbar, but somehow Shoji is able to slip free, which is pretty incredible. Um, it's a great spot. I don't know how he got out, but uh, he did, and the crowd went absolutely crazy for it. Shoji's standing over Enzo, who's remained on his back on the mat. Happens here until the end of the round, apart from the very occasional kick from Shoji, and we do reach the end of the second round. Uh, Bob, anything to say on that round? It was certainly lesser flashpoints of, of note th- than the first one, but anything to say on the second one? Uh, Bass Martin at one point says, if I was Shoji, I would just start throwing bombs. Um, which is, <laughs> it's, just, it's just such a... It's like, like he's a, he's, he's, he can't be more than five foot nine. He's not a big guy. He's 190-odd pounds, whatever it is. It's just like a commentary of football going... Oh, if I was asked, I'd just start scoring goals. You know, like it's just, there's just no, there's no logical reason to it. It just came out of nowhere. Um, the the bit that you 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 highlighted there, that is a ridiculous sequence. The Enzo kind of slips out. Shoji rolls over him. Kind of ends up almost getting in an armbar, and then manages to escape the armbar by just deadlifting heads off the ground. And we're like 18 minutes into this fight, however long it is. And the one, <laughs> the one thing I will say about this fight is that you know, one, I think it's one of the better longer fights we've ever covered at this point. And two, the conditioning of these two guys is ridiculous. Like I know there's there's a lot of 
flat periods in this match, but a uh, fight, sorry. But there's not to that's not to say that there were you know there were times they were just lying on top of each other. There was always something going on. Shoji was doing some ridiculous shit during this fight, um, <laughs> and, and, and yes, to I would score if we were scoring it. I would score this at one all at this point, or you know, nineteen. What's 18, 18, uh, hang on, what's 10 plus 9? 19, 19, 19, yeah, after two rounds, on a modern day scoring system. I thought Shoji took this round, uh, looked a bit more effective, and I don't think Henzo kind of got in as much as he did in round one. Yeah, I, I agree on the on 19, or I think one round each, and, and the same way you gave them as well is completely fair. The crowd coming in alive for those few spots from Shoji was pretty special. Um, I it was an incredible sequence and the strength from Shoji I mean like I'm really rooting for the guy like I mean I don't, if you're like a listener and you're very familiar with like the early days of Pride but Shoji na- earns the uh, nickname of Mr. Pride and he features on every single one of the shows and his record isn't great he, maybe it's a maybe if he fights on 10 he's 5 and 5 for example um, but he is always good value, and he like it, the crowd love him, and he becomes a real fan favorite within the Japanese sort of MMA watching crowd. And you can see why here. Like he's got he's got some charisma about him. He's got incredible strength. He's got great conditioning, and like he's in there with a Gracie, and like Enzo keeps looking like he could get this submission. And I don't know how Shoji does it, but he just pops out like every time. It's 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 really special, and um. Like I said, it's, it's not that this fight is bad. It's it's slightly boring at points, but there are just flashpoints that are, are worth watching. But apart well, in this round, they they were because they were incredible technique or strength. They were more fight related, but certainly in the first round, there were there were flashpoints of interest that were sort of stuff that happens that are just out of the ordinary. Speaking of things that might be worked, do you really think that Akira Choji was £194? Oh, no way. No, no way. I mean, it was a lot less than that. Yeah. Um, you know, as I say, I, I'm just thinking of Monday MMA and thinking, £194, the heavyweight division starts at, what, 205? Um, yeah. Yeah, this guy, I reckon he was about, what, 145, 150? Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I'd say one one fifty. If I had to guess, he looked about that. Yeah, um, you know, he he's not that tall. I mean, if he's one hundred and ninety four pounds, and he, he he could only have been five foot nine, um, he'd be about twice the size, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, just just I was just trying to work it out in my head, and I'm like that he's not one hundred and ninety four pounds. But they, as we say, some things on this show, I think, definitively are works. I suspect that's one of them. Yeah, get it from the old pro wrestling, the, the, the worked weights, get them in there. Um, anyway, we get underway with round three, and it opens with a nice lead kick from Shoji. Uh, Henzo fires back with a nice kick to the body. Henzo looks to clinch, but Shoji is able to shrug it off and land a glancing uppercut. At this point in the third round, there's very little action. It slows down quite a lot in this period. It's quite stally. A lot of stalling, infrequent single strikes being thrown by either guy, either guy, most of which aren't landing. Uh, the, the, 
just uh, I should have made reference to this earlier, but there hasn't been an on-screen clock at any point this evening. So uh, in all of the fights, we have absolutely no idea how long has passed. Um, we have absolutely no idea how many rounds there are in this fight. We didn't even know there were rounds till, till there were. Um, we don't know how long a time limit is for any of the fights. Um, so I have absolutely no idea how long has passed. Um, but they are just sort of circling each other at this stage. Both guys look pretty knackered. Um, but it feels like this, fight, this third round in particular has been going on for quite a long while. Henzo eventually attempts the takedown, but Shoji's able to block it once more and grab a front face lock, landing some nice knees to the head with Henzo in a sort of turtle position. The ref warns Shoji for those knees because apparently they are illegal, which again is news to me. Henzo pulls guard and wraps Shoji up tight, and the action comes to a standstill. Shoji eventually throws some harsh-looking knees to the tailbone, and Henzo works for a submission from the bottom, manages to pull off an excellent sweep, and gets in full mount. Shoji gives up his back for, what, the third or fourth time in the fight uh, to avoid the strikes from Henzo, and again, it's just awesome. Like Actually, like I could, I've done a U-turn on this fight. It's, it was great. Um, he just slips out the back like he's 25, 26 I don't know how long he's in here he's getting punched, he panics he turns his back and goes all over him he just slips out the back door, avoids the submission it was really, really special and uh, the crowd popped for it in a massive way um now and circle each other for a while uh, neither fighter really throws anything of note uh, Enzo shoots for another takedown but Shoji is able to block it so Enzo pulls guard uh, Shoji throws some short punches and Enzo kicks him away narrowly missing with an up kick uh, Shoji stands over him as the bell sounds to bring an end to the round and according to the announcers uh, the end of the fight uh, there are no judges uh, so this fight is ruled a 30-minute draw. Uh, Bob, so back to you. Thoughts on the third round and, and I suppose, the contest more generally? Yeah, probably the least eventful round of all of them. Um, you know, I, I praise their conditioning. I still will. But they were both a bit tired. Um, you know, we, we there's also that just kind of random making it up as we go along. Shoji gets to the mat and it's like he can't throw any knees. Then he kind of switches position and he starts throwing some knees and apparently that's fine. Um <laughs> You know, um, Shoji's just, uh, just you know, like liquid like abilities. He's able to slide out of almost any position, regardless of what Henzo's got him in, was fantastic. Um, and yeah, I think if I was scoring this fight, I, I'd have given Shoji round three as well. Um, but I, I, I thought, I don't know, we've seen many 20 minute plus fights, or even, no, you can say 15 minute plus fights on this show that have been as good as this. Um, in terms of what, we had some that started well and fallen off, but I thought this was one that had a, had a lot going for it, um, and yeah, I, I was very impressed by um, Shoji, uh, I think a lot of people would have expected Gracie to pick this up quite quickly, but apparently not, um, and a very, very good, fun to watch fight with a lot of, holy shit, slash, how the hell did he do that moment, so I thought this was a really good fight. Uh, yeah, I, I said it during that round as I was reviewing it when I, I remembered him just sliding out the back again. But I, I, have to, I, I think I really enjoyed this fight. But when I watched it, I, I didn't. But there are more than enough sequences or moments of great ability or just how did he do that 
or like fantastic strength or just what the hell has happened that this was completely worthwhile and actually quite a fun watch but I, I will sort of put the asterisk there that this wasn't a, a good fight as it were in my opinion like it wasn't it wasn't exciting because of the fight it was exciting because of all the other stuff so if you were looking at it if you're just a fight fan and you just want to see people trade or whatever you might not have enjoyed this fight but there's there's certainly enough here and I, again Bob I completely agree with you I, I, I wrote in my notes I think even showed you the third round if, if there have been judges I think he'd have taken this fight quite comfortably uh, winning the second or third round and his his conditioning was just incredible I, like so impressed with the guy like um like a, a fantastic performance and like you say he was a massive underdog going in and I thought he uh, gave an excellent account of himself um, I mean the, the only other 30 minute fight we'd seen up until this point um, I know there's another one later in the show but was that Shamrock and Seven fight and I mean this is in a whole other universe when you're comparing the uh, the sort of level of interest and flashpoints and just positive things to say um, yeah, but I mean, Ian Hsu ignored the whole thing with the rest, which just is, is, is ridiculous. And even the thing about falling out of the cage. Uh, there are <laughs> there are definitely some flat points in this match, as there will be anything that's going to go that kind of distance. Um, but yeah, just so impressed with, uh, you know, I can't recall that many, you know, and Lord knows I haven't seen that many MMA fights, so I can't recall that many fights I've seen where guys have, or a guy has so effortlessly got out of so many positions. And so his strength, to deadlift Grace at one point, was phenomenal. Um, yeah, uh, I, I thought this was quite a good fight. And as I say, I think one of the better, longer fights we've ever done. Yeah, I, I'm definitely probably twice as more positive on it now than I was before going through that review, as as can happen quite a lot, I suppose. Like, you, I suppose, as we find on this show, MMA and wrestling, you don't really know how you feel about something, so you've spent two hours talking about it and like gone through it again and... I, I, I'm looking back on this fight quite fondly now. But with that over, we move straight into our next fight, which is a real clash of the Giants, Bob. Yes, Nathan Jones against Mitsu, Mitsuharu Kitao. Jones is a six foot nine inch powerlifting champion. I don't think they're exaggerating that. And Strongman, best known for aligning himself with The Undertaker in the build to WrestleMania 19. Appearing here in his only ever professional MMA bout, he weighs in at 345 pounds. I suspect that's probably quite accurate. Uh, his opponent, Mitsuharu Kitao, is a sumo wrestler, perhaps best known for defeating Demolition alongside General Tenryo at WrestleMania. Seven. He answered with an 0-2 MRA record coming off a loss to Mark Hall at UFC 9. He weighs in at £390. Yeah, this was a real uh, battle of the behemoths, if you will, and it, it started with uh, Jones bouncing around on the outside, circling Cadell. And, I mean, it was pretty nimble and agile for a guy of, of his height and, and weight. So you could see why, I know it didn't work out, but you could see why eventually he did, he did try his hand at professional wrestling. Jones then uh, follows up and misses with a really nice spinning crescent kick, and it was really fast for a guy of his size. Uh, or maybe it's just comparatively it was fast because he had Koji Katao opposite him. Um, maybe that's what it was. But uh, either way, it was quite impressive. He follows it up with a left high kick, which also misses, and Katao grabs the clinch. Uh, Jones grabs a front headlock, but he doesn't attempt the guillotine, just holding Katao there in place. Jones lands a knee to the body. He tries it a second time, but Katal grabs his leg and drops him to the ground in side mount. 
Jones audibly begins grunting from the bottom and Bass speculates that he may be panicking a bit. Cattell just, casual as you like, grabs a key lock with absolutely no defence or counter to it uh, attempted from uh, Jones and Cattell gets the submission victory after just 2 minutes and 14 seconds. Bob, what are your thoughts on that? Quite yeah, short fight. I think if there was a fight that stood out as to anyone as this might be a bit iffy, this would probably be the one. Um, you know, quite what a powerlifting champion is doing, throwing spin kicks, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I mean, uh, a super wrestler and a powerlifter go to a fight, one throws a spin kick and the other one wins it with a takedown and an armbar, um, or a key lock armbar. Uh, yeah, a little bit weird, but, but not boring, I'll, I'll say that. But yeah, not the, not the most convincing fight I've ever seen. No, it was a really odd fight. I mean, Jones, like, clearly, work or not, had absolutely no experience. Like, as soon as he got on the bottom, he just panicked. Like, he, he, he was, his head went, and Cattell, work or not, Cattell would have got the armbar, I think, in the exact, with the exact same amount of ease. Like, it just crushed the man on the mat, laid on him, and Jones just sort of had his arm out there, and he just took it and was like, yep, yeah, I'll take that win the fight and Katao looked pretty chuffed to have won the fight to be fair um, like he went he went nuts it was his first MMA win in his third attempt so fair play to the boy um, he, he it wasn't a surprise like like uh, it's, it's strange because if you took moments of this fight and said like this is a powerlifting champion against Koji Katao like who again is a, a sumo wrestler but like when Jones grabbed that front face lock, he just sort of seemed to have no idea that he could possibly attempt to guillotine choke in that position. Like, he just held him there for a while. And then he threw a knee, and you could see... Like, so... The cynic in me is like, well, his hand's there is because he knows he's going to throw a knee, this is a work, and he's going to take him down by grabbing the knee. But you could also look at it like, Jones is just completely inexperienced, has no clue what he's doing. So he throws one knee, waits 10 seconds, and casually throws another with just no experience, then gets taken down. It's, it's hard to say. This was, it was definitely iffy. Um, you'd have to put an asterisk next to it. But uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't bad, I'd say, for, for, for however long it lasted, which was two minutes. Uh, next up, we move uh, away from MMA to bring you a kickboxing match. So, Bob, over to you to introduce the fighters. Yes, if ever there was a, a, a thing to underscore how random some of this show is, just that a kickboxing fight appears in the middle of an MMA card. More interesting is the commentators do seem a little bit surprised by it, too. Um, a little bit, anyway. Uh, it's Ralph White against Branko Kikatich. Uh, enough. Ralph White is a kickboxer standing in at 6 foot 3 inches tall, weighing in at 225 pounds. His opponent, Branko Kikatich, is a kickboxer who was the first ever K1 champion, weighing in at 216 pounds. As I said, the fight's under kickboxing rules, so uh, there will be absolutely no fighting on the ground, no kicking on the ground, no striking on the ground, no takedowns, anything like that. Absolutely none at all. We are underway. Branko fakes a glove touch to land a spinning back kick to the body, which was a real cheap shot, but pretty funny. White fires back with a nice combination of kicks to the body of his own. White is the more aggressive of the two, moving round the outside, but always throwing leg. Uh, kick, consistent kicks to the body. White lands a beautiful leg kick, which staggers Branco. 
Branko lands a nice right hand. He follows up with a left hook, which drops White to the mat. Uh, Branko, in this kickboxing fight, immediately follows up with a running soccer kick to the head. Uh, in a kickboxing fight, while White was on the ground, he just punted him in the head. Just, I don't know why or what's happened, but yeah, it just it's like he's taking a penalty. Oh, 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 I'm pretty sure it's illegal in MMA as well as the kickboxing. I would imagine. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't. He's just he's just taking a penalty on the guy's forehead with his like. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, White staggers to his feet and uh, he has this absolutely disgusting, huge lump on his head. Um, the announcers just think it's hilarious. They're just making jokes about how it looks something out of a horror movie. I can't really do justice to how big this lump on his forehead is. It's like a fist has grown out. It's like a it's a golf ball sized lump, like a proper definable. It must have protruded about three centimeters at one point, like a proper horror. Sh- like you know, you talk about the commentators dicking about. At one point they said maybe kick his tits could kick him in the other side of the head, then he could end up with devil horns. Was uh, some probably the peak of the cops. Cracking jokes were, were brilliant. Like they they were talking about how something might pop out of it, like in a Sigourney Weaver movie. Um, said, um, Quadro says, actually says, which is quite funny, it's a good thing John McCain can't see this. He uh, recommends White use some clearer cell. Uh, he has about five doctors checking over him, and the, the officials are just taking an age to decide what to do. Um, you can hear White's team arguing with officials who want to award Branco the victory, uh, but the announcers just continue to make jokes in the background while this is going on. We see a replay, and it actually shows that the, the right hand... It, it did land, but it didn't really drop white. He sort of stumbled backwards. And then the, the left hook, which in real time, it looked like had dropped him. It didn't actually land. So white fall into the mat. It wasn't really a knockdown. Like, he got like stuck, staggered backwards. But I think he's just sort of lost his balance. It, it, it wasn't put down to the ground by the punches at all. Um, and then... the. The soccer kick hit him on the head when he was on the ground. Um, and the lump is entirely because of that. Like, he, he barely did, like, really take a, a punch there. Um, the officials, pride officials are arguing that uh, Branko should be awarded the win. And um, White's coach says, I don't care if that's legal in Valet Tudo. This is kickboxing and that is not legal. And yeah, I mean, say, basically the, the point was the fight couldn't continue. They, they, they wanted to work out whether it should be awarded as a victory for Kikatich because White was in a, unable to continue or whether it should have been a no contest because of the illegal kick. Um, I think they were right, right awarding it a no contest. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I have to say he's Campbell, remarkably calm. And, and they do eventually decide, as you said, Bob, that uh, Branco... Uh, did not be awarded the victory and uh, the fight was called a no contest and Branco actually seems initially furious with that decision which is just absurd uh, and eventually they, the fighters do sort of make make amends between themselves uh, Branco seems to apologise and uh, that will do that for the uh, kickboxing match I guess if you can call it that with what happened Bob yes um Strange. Let's say that uh, that what we talk about weird fucking shit happening on the show. That that golf ball size lump growing out of White's head might be uh, might be the peak. Yeah, it was just crazy. Like I couldn't believe he kicked him in the head. Like I, I, on the ground, I just couldn't believe it. Like he explicitly stated this was a kickboxing match. Like 
And, like, Branko's a kickboxing champion. It's not like he's just, like, inexperienced, like it's someone's first MMA fight or something like that, and he just does something that's illegal, bit of adrenaline. No, entirely deliberate, uh, just all rather strange. With that out of the way, it's time for the co-main event of the evening. So, Bob, back to you to introduce the fighters. Yes, Kimo Leopoldo versus Dan Seven. Kimo is a taekwondo practitioner last year on this podcast in a victory over ECW shoot fighter, well, well written, Paul Varlian's Ultimate Ultimate 1996. He enters with a 7-2 and two MMA record <clears throat> and weighs in at 235 pounds. His opponent, Dan Seven, enters with a fight, this fight, with a 23-2 and two MMA record. His last podcast appearance being a loss to Mark Coleman at USC 12. He's on a five-fight win streak since then and weighs in at 200. Pounds. We are underway in the battle of the UFC veterans, and after a short early punching exchange of very little note, they set it into a pattern of circling each other. Kimo is the one pushing forward, but a nice right hand lands a seven, and they resume just circling each other with seven on the outside. Seven does shoot in for a takedown, but Kimo defends it, and seven grabs the clinch, forcing Kimo back into the corner. They jockey for a position here, spinning around a few times before eventually breaking off. Kimo swings a wild right hook that glances Seven. Shortly, Kim- shortly after, Kimo lands a decent left hook, which backs Seven off slightly. There's not much action that follows for a brief period, with Seven circling around Kimo, planted in the middle of the ring. Not having a clock here is really painful, as I have no idea how long has gone in this fight, and no idea about how long is left. I don't know what, what the time limit is here. It feels like forever, but I think it's been about five minutes. The quality of the striking here is really poor. Uh, seven throwing what looks like open-handed slaps and uh, Kimo swinging wildly with little to no technique, looking for a sort of a haymaker punch, but like, telegraphing it and getting absolutely nowhere near. Kimo lands a decent leg kick to break up the terrible punching. He then lands a uh, Seven then lands a nice short jab, but there isn't much power behind it. Kimo keeps dropping his hand crazy low and again looking for that wild punch, but... That they never look like they're going to land. Kimo lands a couple more leg kicks, which seems to be much more effective than whatever his punching strategy seems to be. Seven then gets an ankle pick, but is only able to get Kimo down for a second before Kimo pops back up. Kimo then lands a blatant no blow that the ref completely ignores. The announcers call it, and Bass helpfully adds that he believes Seven looks like Eddie Mercury. That is Eddie Mercury. Uh, Quadros points out that Tank Abbott has noted this numerous times on USC commentary. Nothing's really happening here, so but the announcers do say a few things of note over the next few minutes. Uh, Quadros calls this a really frustrated mo- watch, and he says that he can't picture any type of finish or knockout happening here. And he won't be wrong on either count. Uh, Seven shoots in for a takedown, and Kimo is able to defend it well. Uh, They trade strikes on the inside very briefly in the aftermath before again breaking off. Quadros calls this fight a dance contest, and nothing of note is happening. Seven shoots in for a takedown, but Kimo blocks with some excellent defence, and then uh, Quadros outright says, This Dan Seven cannot punch. There might be less action here than the infamous Seven Shamrock fight from UFC 9. Bass tells us that it's been announced 15 minutes have passed, so he's just realised that there aren't three 10-minute rounds. <laughs> he calls the rules all over the place, and again, he's not wrong. There's so little action going on here that I don't really know what to say about it. 
Um, they're just circling each other with some very terrible, inaccurate striking, keeping the distance between them there and none of it landing. Seven then eventually does close the distance before they trade punches, uh, before again clinching against the ropes. Seven lands a nice knee to the body before immediately breaking off and pushing away. And I'm not... Uh, I'm not sure what caused it, but Kimo seems to come away from that little exchange with a really bad cut above his left eye. Uh, Seven's right leg is quite swollen from the leg kicks, to be fair, so Kimo has landed a few of them. Uh, Seven lands a nice short right hand as we approach the 20-minute mark. Quadros tells a story about how he was watching Seven versus Royce Gracie at UFC 4. The fights had no time in it back then, and the pay-per-view actually cut off before the end of the fight. Seven looking in control. He found out the next day that Seven had in fact lost. Uh, Bass asked if he he got a refund, and Quadros says, you better believe it, baby. That anecdote was far more entertaining than anything that's happened in this fight so far. Seven catches a kick and is eventually able to get Kimo down, but Kimo scrambles from the bottom as he uh, and slides. No, sorry, Kimo, who's on the bottom, he slides under the bottom rope. Uh, The rest pulls the action to restart them standing, and I actually thought something was going to happen then, but nope, they're back to the uh, marathon of inactivity, as Cardros calls it. Buzz Rotten was livid when they got stood up. (laughs) Absolutely. Fuming. He thought they might be sort of put into the middle with with seven on top, but no, back to the feet, and he couldn't handle it. Uh, they resume circling each other, occasionally trading poor quality strikes that mostly miss, and both guys look knackered. The crowd actually get really quite vocal in their disapproval of this fight here in Japan in the Tokyo Dome, which which tells you how bad this really is. Uh, Seven dives to to the single leg, but Kimo sprawls to avoid it, grabs a front face lock. This looks like something might happen, but Kimo just lets it go, and Seven slides out, uh, and they both return to their feet, and Bass just loses his shit. He just screams quite primally, oh my god, just keep going, Jesus Christ, you shouldn't stop. Uh, The fight goes back into the same lifeless pattern it's followed up in two now, and the crowd boo quite a bit. Uh, Bass says that in four years, he, in the four years he's been fighting in Japan, he has never ever heard a crowd boo. Seven ups the pace a bit, throwing slapping punches and driving Kimo back into the corner, looking for the takedown. He's throwing loads of slaps and eventually is able to get the takedown into side mount, landing a few punches. After about 20 seconds of action on the ground, with Seven landing these strikes, the bell rings to signify we have reached the apparent 30-minute time limit, and as there are no judges, the fight is declared a draw. Uh, Bob, what did you make of that snoozer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, you know, as I did say on that Seven Shamrock fight, you know, uh, the, the, at one point the commentators do talk about it being entertainment. As we kind of saw in the Tactura fight, you know, it is entertainment, but you are putting your life on the line when you when you step into these kind of matches. And as I have said before, you are entitled to fight a style that that conserves yourself and protects yourself above being entertaining. Um, th- and I think this, along with that fight, is why MMA did move towards rounds more um, because at least then, you know, one those fights get broken up a bit. Um, and also because then it becomes more about scoring points rather than anything else. Um, this was not a good fight. It was not entertaining. It was two guys that 
are not great stand-up strikers, and probably 90% of the fight was on their feet. Um, and yeah, it is just what happens. It's, it's like a, it's like when Jose Mourinho goes and uh, and tries to shut down a big game. It's, it's too, you know, it's two very technically good fighters, but neither guy is able to is willing or able to break through the other guy's defences and you just end up with a standoff. Not a good fight, not an entertaining fight. Um, you know, I, I thought the, 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 the big tell, the big difference between this fight and the, the Seven Shamrock one is that the Seven Shamrock one was called by commentators that had a stake in UFC. Well, not literally, but they were employed by UFC to do the commentary. These were guys just doing commentary and they did not give a shit about slating this fight. Um, you know, they, they, they did not hold back in giving this fight exactly what for. Um, but yeah, as I say, this is fighting. You are entitled to defend yourself. You are entitled to stop yourself getting hurt. But this was not entertaining. I mean, on the, on, it's sort of in that line, Seven throwing the, the open-handed slaps, I think was down to, like, he, he did intend on fulfilling that UFC date. Um, and I think he was worried about getting his hand broken, throwing strikes. Oh, mate, so. he got hurt enough. Like, you wouldn't watch this fight and think that Seven sustained enough injuries to not be able to fight the next week. His right leg was very, very swollen, like the the back of his thigh where he'd taken those kicks. And they yeah. said he had these calcium deposits in, in, in his leg. Like, that, that did look bad. Um, I'm surprised he sustained the hand damage that was actually given as the main reason for him pulling out, um, really, because... I'm not sure where what would, might have caused that. Maybe it was that brief 20-second flurry on the floor at the end, the very end, where he did land maybe five or six strikes to the head, maybe in there, like he'd done the damage there. But I, I, don't, I don't know how he did it, but, like, yeah. it was. This was as dull as an MMA fight can be, really. Um, without those... Maybe without the 20 seconds at the end, which was a little bit of action, but by that point it was futile in terms of offering any entertainment, but the one positive, as you said, Bob, uh, the commentators, they were good value, and at least on their end, they did try and offer some entertainment throughout the, the hideousness going on inside the ring. I think, for my money, this is worse than UFC 9 in terms of uh, how little went on in it, personally. Uh, with that out of the way, it's time for the main event of the Pride 1 pay-per-view. So, Bob, back over to you to introduce the two fighters. Yeah, it's Ricks and Gracie against Nobuhiko Takada. Gracie is a Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, holds an MMA record of 9-0. He weighs into this fight at 185 pounds. His opponent, Nobuhiko Takada, is a professional wrestler and executive within Pride Fighting Championships. Seen here make his MMA debut. He weighs in at 210 pounds. Pre-fight, uh, we got the four national anthems of both Brazil and Japan. Um, this kind of did give a big fight feel, especially when compared to the rest of the action on the night, because so, sort of felt a bit of formality to it. Uh, maybe on the, the, the proper card, there, there would have been quite a bit of pomp and circumstance around some of the other fights, but the fight pass version with a load cut out, probably two hours of stuff cut out, um, this, this did sort of stand out amongst the rest, in my opinion. Uh, the fight begins with Takada circling on the outside as Vixen stands in the centre of the ring with his hands low. He looks completely cold and emotionless, almost robotic in his focus. Takada throws a nice low kick, but it doesn't land. 
Brixton eventually manages to close the distance and force Takada into the corner of the ring. Takada desperately grabs the ropes to avoid being taken down, uh, which the referee can't get him to let go of the ropes, so he just calls for a break, <laughs> which is pretty shady, considering Takada's sort of stake and role in the company. Um, Hickson had had the leg, and the only thing from preventing the takedown was the fact Takada was holding the ropes and he just wouldn't let go of them. Um, Hickson didn't really seem to care at all. Um, uh, and, and back on the feet, uh, back in the middle of the ring, he threw a couple of low kicks before attempting to ta- the takedown. Uh, Takada initially defends it, uh, even landing a knee to the head in the process, but Hickson seems completely unfazed and gets a huge slam down into side mount. He immediately takes full mount on the ground. Uh, Takada tries desperately to hold on, but Hickson postures up and lands some hard shots to the body. Uh, Rickson steps across and locks in the armbar, extending it and forcing Takada to submit after just four minutes and 47 seconds. Uh, Bob, what were your thoughts on the Pride main event? Yeah, not many, really many doubts about this, were there? I mean, Takada was just kind of circling around the outside and Hickson held the centre spot. Um, clinging onto the ropes is a bit dodgy. Letting get away with it is a bit dodgy. Um, it's the kind of thing you'd have seen in early USC shows, but probably not the more recent ones we've covered. Um, big body slam. The minute he got in the mount, I like he's not losing rear. Um, Takala didn't have a clue what to do on the deck, um, and I think Hickson was just waiting for the right moment to pull it off. Um, a, a, an effective, if very one-sided, main event. Yeah, easy and routine for Hickson. Not a whole lot to say about it. It was such a mismatch. Uh, Hickson did look like an ice-cold, composed killer in there, but again, you do have to throw in the, the calibre of the opposition um, when when you take that into account. Like he, this, is, this is a complete mismatch. Uh, to uh, end the show, Hickson is presented with a trophy, and the show goes off the air with him celebrating in the middle of the ring. So, uh, Bob, I'll come to you uh, with your uh, final thoughts of the show, your overall thoughts and a score 8 out of 10 for the Pride 1 show. Yeah, a mixed bag. Um, you know, not the highest quality fights that I perhaps would have expected because there's a lot of fighters that we know on this card, or certainly a few. Um, but I, I think there was enough going for this show, um, and you have to do, you have to sit through the 30 minute chemo 7 fight but otherwise there's enough noteworthy shit going on and a couple of interesting fights uh, where I think the show's worthwhile I'll give it a 6 out of 10 mm, I, I was definitely more negative on the show than you I, I, I didn't enjoy watching it that much and I would say I think it's my least favourite MMA show we've watched covering MMA for the podcast uh, however many of that is probably about 10 now 8, eight to 10 this is probably my least favourite. Uh, the presentation wasn't great. I mean, this is the first Pride show, I guess. Like, UFC had a lot of problems, like, in the earlier shows, but there were some problems with the camera work at times. Um, and, I mean, Goodridge Shaktarov was good, but it was shorter. There wasn't really a great fight on this show. Um, Gracie versus Shoji was, like, like in hindsight now, having gone through it, I did enjoy it. It was quite... A, Entertaining, but it wasn't a good fight. It had some interesting flashpoints, um, and that Kimo Seven fight was one of the most boring fights I've ever seen in my life. A lot of the others were, were just mismatches and very one-sided. Like you said, Bob, and quite rightly pointed out, very a few, uh, there were a few moments of, of 
great interest and good note, like uh, the, the officials dragging the fighters on the ground back to the middle of the ring, or the monstrosity growing on Ralph White's head in the kickboxing fight, but I wouldn't say that outweighed the negatives, really. I, I don't think it was a terrible show, but if you're looking to watch some good MMA fights or some entertaining fights, I'd avoid this. If you're looking for sort of... The type of thing you could go in YouTube and type in, like, funny moments in MMA and get, like, a, a nice, like, 10-minute compilation. Like, you'd get probably five to ten examples out of this show alone. So if, you, if you're looking for that kind of thing, maybe this is worth a watch. But generally, I wouldn't really recommend it. I'll give this a five out of ten. I think you're understanding it a little in the sense that, um, you know, I think that's one of the better 30-minute matches we'll see, the, the, the Gracie fight, obviously. Um, I, I think the... The Goodridge upset over Taktorov. As I say, it would have been more noteworthy had it have been more even. Like, the fact that Goodridge just seemed to score was a bit weird. Um, and yeah, those two combined with some holy shit moments, uh, I think this show's a bit more noteworthy than you're perhaps giving it credit for. Are we going to do Fighters and Fighter of the Night? Is that next? Yeah, you may as well go through your fighter and fighter. A fight and fighter, sorry. Uh, fight of the night, uh, as I say, I think it is between two, um, but I, I'm going to go with Shoji and Gracie uh, for fight of the night. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said for Goodridge and Taktorov, don't get me wrong, but as, a, as an even back and forth fight between guys that do not weigh 180 and 195 pounds, um, <laughs> I, I, I thought this was a, an interesting fight that for a half an hour long fight was not as, you know, didn't drag as much as you might think. And I'll give Shoji fight of the night, too, to go out and fight for that. Let's go up against the Gracie um, as a guy that doesn't seem to have much experience. Um, and to kind of be behind in the fight, like, I think he was unarguably the the, 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 the guy that would have lost round one. Um, to fight back in the way he did, and some of the stuff he did as well. Um, yeah, so I'll give Shoji versus Gracie fight of the night and Shoji fighter of the night. Um, for me, fight of the night, I'm going to give to Goodridge versus Taktarov. Um, I was so impressed with Goodridge. He looked so much more competent and composed in there than we've ever seen him. And uh, I remember that famous promo. Well, not famous. It's not a famous promo. Famous to me um, that he cut um, after a loss in one of the earlier shows we did where he said, like, he trained his... He trained his mind and his fists, but not his heart or something along those lines because he just got so blown up and tired within two minutes. Like, uh, And he seems to have really worked on that here. Like, genuinely, he was in great shape, like, sort of in terms of how much he had in the tank. And I, I thought it was a good showcase for him. And he took on a named guy and, and did really well. well. However, I will agree with you on Fighter of the Night. I think Shoji really endeared himself to me. Um, all of those flashpoints in that fight, um, that made that a good 30-minute, but well, at least an interesting 30-minute fight. All of them were from him. He really stood out and uh, had a whole bunch of personality um, and some absolutely fantastic technique to back it up, as well as some questionable but effective strategies, such as frying yourself out of the ring. So for me, Shoji, I agree with you, fighter of the night. And that will pretty much do it for our coverage of Pride 1. Just a quick um, note on, uh, speaking of Goodridge, just looking at his record. Uh, next, yeah, if we do choose to do uh, uh, Pride 2 as its own show, just looking at that card, uh, probably a few less names than we've heard before. Ralph White reappears. Um, Shoji reappears. 
Sakuraba, who's the you know one of the the, the more famous Japanese MMA names ever, appears, um, and we also get to see Gary Goodrich against Marco Huha, um, which, wow. which which could be interesting, um, and then Mark Kerr and Kikatich in the main event. Um, when so is that? That's March 1998. So it wasn't quite the January I think they were planning for, and they mentioned it on the show. Um, there is there is one thirty minute one round fight on that card. There's also <laughs> fight, the, 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 there's it can't be any worse. The other way you think. Uh, there's, that's no. another that's another great. That's Hoyler. Um, and there's also like some five and six round matches on that card. So it'd be interesting how that stacks up. But yeah, we might look at doing that. But I think one way or another, I'd, I'd certainly be interested to cover Huha and Goodridge from that second show, and if it's on the the, the UFC show that would follow it. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting how that goes. But Goodridge against Huha could be interesting. It goes nine minutes as well. Um, so it'd be interesting how, uh, how those two stack up. Yeah, I mean, overall, like, I might not have enjoyed this show that much, but, like, Definitely interested in covering Pride if we can fit them in, like, moving forward. Um, I, like, I, I do enjoy watching a bunch of fights and pieces of history within MMA we've never seen before. Um, like, like, depending on... It's all it's all really scheduling and how they fit into... You, I mean, you in particular, Bob, you've got so much on in terms of, like, the podcast and wrestling and stuff, especially, like, as we go through the next couple of years. Um so it depends how they fit in, but I'm definitely up for doing as much pride as we could possibly cover. Um, but yeah, Bob, thank you very much for joining me and our first adventure back into Japanese MMA. Uh, Bob, tell the uh, good listeners where you can be found on Twitter and all about our, our Patreon and all that. Yes, I might as well do the lot. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba, the wrestling account on Twitter at Wrestling20RS, or on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you and get early access where possible, that this show's about two weeks late, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20YRS. Um, and yes, there are now four of the volumes this month. There used to only be three. Uh, but WWF in Volume 1, looking at Bad Blood, WCW in Volume 2, looking at Halloween Havoc, uh, ECW in Volume 3, just looking at all the ECW action. And the UFC show that's kind of a nice little counterweight to this one given that it happens six days later and there's a lot of crossover uh, is volume number four um, and yes you uh, this weekend I have been quite busy starting the the prep for the Montreal show shall we say uh, I, I generally don't watch shows twice but we're we're about three weeks away from taping the WDF show and I've already watched Survivor Series which is an interesting note if nothing else but yes lots going on uh, and thank you for Chris for, for, for joining me on this show I think on balance I think it's definitely a show worthwhile going back to watch um, it wasn't brilliantly interesting but there's enough going on where I, I thought it was a good use of two hours of my time yeah I'd agree I mean like it's, it's MMA like you, it's not it's not pro wrestling like you, you, it's not you're not you, there's no guarantees over how good a fight is going to be in MMA really like it doesn't matter who's in there you could you could have a two unknown guys and they could pull off a world class back and forth throwing fists wildly like you could have that or you could have two massive names massive stars and they have a bit of a stinker like it's MMA uh, I think me not particularly enjoying this show is no reflection on like pride or like how much I'm interested in doing the rest it's definitely a worthwhile watch if not at least because of the sort of historical uh, importance of it and all that but yeah, just to wrap up, I have been your host for this first furore back into uh, Japanese MMA. Uh, 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at ChrisWhite14. Um, and thank you very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>